I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. All right. Keeping with the bullet stuff for now, um, I noticed on your website, so you, you came out with the CX. We talked about that a little bit, Seth, mm-hmm. um, which is, a, and we'll get into that one too, um, and, and how Doppler radar changed the dynamics for the, where you changed the GMX to the CX and how it changed the shape of the cantalore and all of that. But what's this ECX bullet? That one is for the European market. You won't see that available for sale here in the U.S. at all. Uh, oh, okay. That was we we used that same technology from the CX, uh, but in in the international scope, there are a lot of cartridges and chamber designs that just aren't popular here in the U.S. Uh, and we make a bullet that it lends itself to really good accuracy and terminal performance from those chamberings those cartridges and chamber designs and those twist rates um so not a not a us you know not a domestically available product uh, but basically we use the same design features as the cx just to help the international customer get more velocity on target velocity makes those bullets work and so they're just impacting their target with higher velocity using those same drag reducing features uh, just a different shape of bullet. Again, that lends itself to accuracy from their traditional chamber designs. Okay, that explains it. Um, so it, when we talked uh, last month, um, you mentioned how you guys learned that the design of the cantalore increased the drag, and then you came up with a different design to reduce that drag to increase the aerodynamic efficiency of the bullet. Now, I want to get a little bit more in depth on that, in that exactly how did the radar show, or how did you guys determine that it was the cantalore that was doing it, and it was the shape of the cantalore? Well, I'll let Jaden take the the reins on that one for the most part, just because obviously he's the the guy, but this was probably the last project that we worked on together when I was still in uh, ballistics. Um, But the the cantilers that's not a secret that a cantiler or an external feature on a bullet like that increases the drag that's been documented you know long before we had a radar so that's that's been known um but uh, yeah Jaden can can run with what we did but we started with a, a prior knowledge that you put a cantiler on a bullet you're going to increase the drag yeah okay. so yeah, exactly like you said, Seth. Um, it's well-established knowledge that when you put a groove or a cantilever on a bullet, that that it increases the drag. And what happens is you get a you get a shockwave formation to some degree on that. So when I was giving you the skydive example of throwing out your arms and then your legs, well, when you put a groove on a bullet, you grow an extra set of arms to throw out. Essentially, is what that's doing. Ooh, so, freak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah cir- circus skydiving. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> So what we did was, you know, the, the, the question of why is that geometry the way it is, there was no answer to it. 
And so we said, well, let's do a bunch of messing around and see if maybe there's a way to improve it or not. It kind of was one of those things. Why do we do it this way? Because we've always done it that way. That was kind of the, maybe the, the summary of, of that specific old geometry. Um, so we just started messing with things. I mean, most of what we do here that ends up being a successful product is because we just start messing around with stuff. We just have a question or we're curious or I want to see if I can make something do this or do that, you know, because we're all shooters and hunters here. We're nothing, you know, we're no like rocket scientists or anything like that. We're just end users that are fortunate enough to, to have access to the equipment where we can play with this stuff. I mean, that's as simple as it is really. So uh, yeah, we, we started messing with different things and we discovered via the radar that with certain geometries, it made it worse. And with certain geometries, we made it better. And so we, we studied and targeted the ones that made it better. And that's what you see on the CX product. Okay. You know, some of the best products are made just messing around because that's how post-it notes were discovered. A guy yeah. at 3M was messing around with different glue and he's like, oh, this one doesn't work. It just keeps coming off. And yeah. then they're like, hey, wait a minute. Oh, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And now look, now everybody uses post-it notes. Yeah, they keep me employed. Uh, if, Seth knows that. I was, I was about to yeah, give a shameless plug. Shout out to 3M for the post-it note. If it weren't for post-it notes, Jaden would be likely out of a job. Yeah, I'd yeah, be I mean, in some <laughs> cave somewhere in a mountain where I belong. Probably. Yeah, this is the guy that's got like the, you know, the to-do book, you know, the, the the daily calendar. But instead of just like writing stuff in there, he'll write stuff in there and then stick post-it notes in there. Yeah. Uh, you move them, you know, it's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you should see like at my job at work, my screen, I think is a post-it note. I completely and thoroughly understand. Yeah. I'm dyslexic, so I have to put I get it. Well, by the way, 3M, not sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not sponsor. Unless they want to be. <laughs> um, so. I'm in. Is the, uh, the purpose of the cantalore just for um, seeding the bullet into the cartridge itself? No, there's, there's several uh, attributes that make it desirable. And probably the biggest one has to do with pressure. You know, on a regular lead core bullet, that lead can smush, for lack of a better term. Uh, and on a, a monolithic bullet, it there's it's not compressible. So as it engraves in the rifling, it doesn't squeeze down. And so by adding grooves like that, and various manufacturers have different numbers, uh, varying from one to you know three or four. We 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 usually use two on our bullets, but one it reduces the bearing surface that's actually riding in the bore right so there's less uh, material engraved and then two it allows an area for the material that is engraved to deposit so that it doesn't deposit in the barrel so the big one has mm. to do with lowering pressure and lowering uh, fouling that's kind of the chief importance of using it on a monolithic bullet because um, yeah if you could get away with no cantilers that's the best way to make a bullet from an external ballistic standpoint but you're going to run into increased fouling and increased chamber pressure uh, that because it's going to increase the rate of fouling and it already is going to operate at a higher pressure, you're going to increase your rate of pressure as you continue firing because your barrel is going to get increasingly more fouled. Okay. Now for the audience, you, you have to explain what a monolithic bullet is. Uh, a, bu a bullet that is a homogenous material. So uh, a lead core bullet, a cup and core bullet, has a copper jacket 
and then we insert a lead core and then we swedge them together. Uh, homogenous bullet, monolithic bullet, monometal bullet, uh, RCX starts life as a pellet of a copper zinc alloy. And then we smash that into the shape we want. So there is no core, there is no jacket, there is nothing. It is a solid construction of one material. Okay, yeah, I just want to make sure that everybody knew what that was. Um, now, are all of your hunting bullets monolithic bullets? No, no. Uh, monolithic bullets do have a, a huge value from a terminal performance standpoint, but so does lead core bullets. There, there are a lot of advantages to using a lead core bullet. And so I would say the hefty majority of our hunting bullets are still a lead core projectile. Um, lead always has been and always will be one of the best materials you could think of to make a bullet core out of. And uh, they do really well from a terminal performance standpoint for a large variety of applications. So almost all of our hunting bullets still have a lead core, um, but the monolithic bullet is growing in popularity. Um, any area that has a lead restriction, like California most notably, has to use those bullets. Um, and they penetrate really, really well. They usually out-penetrate a lead core bullet. But from a design standpoint, there are some limitations there. So, uh, you know, you, there's a some shape that you can't do because it takes a really fast twist rate to stabilize a long bullet. And likewise, speed makes a bullet work. And a monolithic bullet simply requires more speed to make it work than a lead core bullet does. So okay. your range is limited as well. Okay. So I'm holding a, your 308, 150 grain SST. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, it has a cantalure. Yep. Right there at the, right there where the cartridge, uh, at the very tip of the cartridge, there's a cantalure. I can see it. Now, how you guys talk about 2000 feet per second to get your one and a half time expansion on hunting bullets on the um, CX. I know right on the CX. Mm -hmm. Um, but with your bullets that have a cantalore when you're over 2000 feet per second and you're doing your terminal testing, have you noticed them breaking off at the cantalore at all? No, it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, typically okay. they hold together better uh, on a lead core bullet. Now, our lead core bullets do not require the 2,000 feet per second of impact speed. Like I'd mentioned previously, okay. monolithic bullets, they require all that speed. But a lead core bullet like that SST, you'll get caliber and a half expansion down to 17, 17.50 feet per second on those. And uh, at the higher velocities, that cantaloupe, on a lead core bullet, that cantaloupe gives us a place to crimp the case mouth. So it does help with loading. And then it also helps squeeze the core inside the jacket. Um, so at high impact mm. speeds, like you mentioned, over 2,000 feet per second, where that lead is expanding and flowing, that cantaloupe squeezes the core to help reduce the chances of that lead core popping out of the jacket. And when you get a jacket core separation, uh, depending on where it happens in its terminal performance cavity, it can limit its penetration. So we want to try to squeeze those, those bullets together. And so with an SST yeah. that expands really quickly, um, and expands well at, at lower velocities, that cantaloupe actually helps hold it together. Okay. Well, yeah. And, and if, if it separates, then your path pretty much becomes unpredictable at that point as well. Uh, it depends on the bullet design. With an SST, uh, it'd be a little more uh, unpredictable. Jaden could expand on it if you want to go down the terminal performance rabbit hole of that ELDX, because that one is kind of a, a unicorn, if you will, on, 
on the way it performs with expansion. Uh, that's something that's never been done before, but, uh, uh, and that doesn't have a cantaloupe, but uh, uh, it does right. penetrate in a really linear fashion, regardless of, of what that lead's doing. Okay. Oh, interesting. And, and I bring it up because, um, because of my past, uh, I, I've done a lot of um, work in terminal ballistics. And I know that like the, the 556 five, rounds, totally different bullet now we're talking, but I know that there's a lot of data out there where those um, under 100 yards, because of the velocity being so high, that they have a tendency to snap at the cantaloupe and then you get parts and pieces going everywhere. Sure. So I can that's see the that only at, reason at, I asked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's at, you know, 2,800, 2,900 feet per second at the muzzle on exactly. a really small bullet that does not have a lot of material. The jackets are thinner than a 30 cal. There's less lead in there to begin with. So I could see that right. kind of compounding the problem. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's talk about the ELDX then real quick. Let's talk about how it's used for hunting and, and how you guys designed it. Yeah, Jaden's, I'm going to Jaden to run with the terminal performance <laughs> thing. But before he does that, I want to note, uh, just in case he doesn't mention it, that uh, the ELD tip, the heat shield tip uh, process was really started life with the ELDX. A lot of people tend to think that we set out to make these super awesome match bullets, which we, we did make a great match bullet with the ELD match. But uh, when him and Dave were working on this project, they were making the ELDX, and that was really what precipitated this whole mm. thing. Um, yeah, they were really set out to make the ultimate hunting bullet, and, and he can take it from here because they did. They made the ultimate hunting bullet. So the uh, hunting bullet birthed the match bullet. It did. Yeah, it, it's kind of a funny story that doesn't get told publicly a whole lot, but there's no secrets in it. Um, you know, the, the advancements in long range shooting, you know, in the competitive and recreational circuits, uh, are obviously going to bleed over into hunting. Right. And so the 20 2010 timeframe period, that's when we kind of saw that start to happen. You had people actually going out and taking longer distance shots on animals. And, uh, we felt that they didn't have the right tool for the job. They were using bullets that were designed to do something else for that application. You're not going to get the best results. You're using the wrong tool for the, for the job that you're trying to do. So we set out to design a bullet that was purpose built for that application. Now we don't define long range hunting. That's, that's up to the individual on what they feel comfortable with from a skill set and an ethics perspective. That's their question to answer. Um, we always say, if you can get closer, you absolutely should. You owe that to the animal and to the rest of the hunting community. Um, but so in process of that, we designed this bullet and the goal was to try to get it to expand at lower velocities that, you know, correlates to longer range shots. You, you've lost a lot of velocity by the time the bullets at whatever long distance downrange. The problem there is, as Seth has noted many times in this, you have to have velocity to get the bullet to expand. And so we were working at, at the, the, the bottom end. So I can build you a bullet that will expand at really low velocities perfectly works every time but when you shoot an animal at 50 yards the bullet comes apart because it's designed to work at slow velocities when you hit something at fast velocity it can't hold together so mm -hmm. that was the problem is how do we design a bullet because in hunting you might take a 50 yard shot you might take a longer distance shot it's not up to you so how do we design a bullet that will withstand both of those extreme ends of performance so we set out to do that we got the radar we're doing all these bullet studies on it and we've got a bullet that's fantastic i mean this thing holds together when we shoot it you know ballistics gelatin or an animal at the muzzle and same thing at 
quite far distant distances beyond what we would consider ethical downrange. It's working great. So we go to get the drag measurements um, to supply marketing so that they can get all the you know stuff published for the launch of the product. And we start doing the drag measurements with the radar and these drag numbers are way off where we estimated them to be. Like, you know, estimation is going to have some error in it, but this was way, way off. That's what led to the rabbit hole discovery that came out as the heat shield tip so that, that we figured out the tips were melting. That's why those BCs were so low. But um, so after we figured that whole thing out, got that fixed, the product got delayed. I, I don't know if it was a year or two years. I want to say it might have been remember. two years. I don't remember. Whatever. Um, so <laughs> back to the R&D drawing board. <laughs> figure out this tip thing. Get all that straightened out. Then go back and 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 bring that into the ELDX, you know, bullet design itself. Now, that's unique because like Seth was saying when you guys were just talking about the cantaloupe on that SST, as he said, that allows us to kind of grab hold of the core, you know, to, to keep those two together. But we just got done talking about how that increases drag. Well, we didn't want anything that was going to cause the bullet to slow down faster because that would limit the range that it would perform at. So we don't want a cantaloupe on the ELDX. That would just hurt what we're trying to do. So we developed a different way to hold the core in to the jacket on the inside of the bullet instead of the outside. So now we get that same retention of the core to the jacket that we had with the SST, but we do it on the inside so we don't have to have a cantaloupe that's causing increased drag on the outside. Um, but that bullet was unique because we figured out a way to get it to continuously expand is the easiest way to describe it. So a traditional bullet, um, you know, when the nose opens up, it kind of happens in a pretty rapid fashion and the nose is opening and then it is an expanded mushroom and then it stops there, right? That's kind of the, it goes and then it stops. With the ELDX, what you have happening is, is essentially a constant expansion. There's never, it opens and stops it opens and keeps opening as long as there's enough velocity there. And so that's why that bullet can hold together when you shoot something at 50 yards, but still expand at long ranges. So at 50 yards, the continuous expansion is occurring because there's so much velocity, that bullet is just getting worked really hard. So it's just continuing to flow and expand. Uh, but when you shoot it at the longer distances where the velocity is reduced, it works like a traditional bullet would up close where it kind of just comes open to its max diameter and stops there. So that was something we we kind of cracked the nut on that we had never done before with the ELDX. And that that wow. continual expansion that he's talking about, uh, why that uh, to go back to that SST and if the SST core comes out, then it kind of goes wherever it wants because it's continually expanding and some of that leading lead can get sheared off. It penetrates in a straight line because there's not an uh, an imbalanced drag based on frontal diameter that makes it do one thing or the other. So by the time the lead flows to the point where the lead flows out of the jacket, you're 16, 17, 18 inches into your penetration and you're, you're straight lined through the thoracic cavity before it's a, before that lead core comes out. So you get that straight performance. And again, it's not designed to make the lead core come out. Uh, but by the time that happens, if it does, if your impact velocity is high enough, you're you're into through and out the other side of your heart and lung area okay cool so if you i mean the eldx would be the way to go in that you wanted to double lung everything you, the eldx is going to do it because you know it's always going to be that straight shot as long as your angle's right yep yep and it's and, and, match accurate we hold it to the same accuracy standard when we manufacture that bullet as we do our match bullets right. so you're getting a match accurate bullet with the external drag characteristics that make long range shooting uh 
you know, what it is. And then you get all the terminal performance benefits to go with it. It really is the ultimate bullet. And to go back to Jamie, yeah. when he first started uh, that, uh, that explanation, I think it was delayed one year because in October of 2014, we were running the Sniper Adventure Challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were on what would be the southeast side of Sheep Mountain, <laughs> walking down the road. And I remember you saying, you're never going to believe this, but I, like we can see on radar that the polymer tips are deforming in flight. Yeah. And we talked about it for a couple miles of walk. That was in 2014. We launched new products in 2015 with that new bullet. Yeah. So it was delayed a year, I would suspect. Old Sheep Mountain. Yep. Wow. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a gander and guess that the the way you guys are holding the jacketing to the bullet is gorilla glue. That's I'm just going with it. Yeah. So I can neither confirm inside. or deny that, but you can probably <laughs> gather from that what you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Loctite just wasn't good enough. Had yeah. to go had to go to the gorilla, gorilla glue. Right. Um Okay. So let's get into the Ford off then. How does everything we've just talked about, how does the Ford off calculator take that into account and give us the correct dope or data for our rifle and scope? Well, the, the story of Ford off is probably interesting uh, in all this stuff we just talked about on these discoveries made in that time frame. Ford off came out at the same time. So like I said earlier, we were using the radar to publish those 800-yard BC numbers, as is noted on that website page. Um, but what we what we also were suffering from was the limitations of BC that we've all had, and some people continue to have that are using it today, and, and the limitations of, hey, when I'm using a BC, I'm, I'm hitting right where I want to. Point of aim is point of impact at four, five, six, 700, but now I'm off at eight, I'm off at nine, I'm really off at a thousand, but then I'm back on again at 11 and 12, and then I'm back off again, you know, that whole story of being on and off and on and off. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so what we said was, well, we have the ability now with the radar to get the right data to do this the right way. So uh, we went down to the, to the bosses to, to, I think Steve was gone again. We like to ask for expensive toys when, when Steve is gone and we go to Jason and say, Hey, can we have this? But uh, uh, we went down to Jason. We said, Hey, we, we can do this better. And I mean, that's the premise of this company. You know, we're, we're an innovative company. Let's do things better. So we said, Hey, now with the radar, we have the ability to get the data we need to build a better ballistics calculator because at the end of the day, uh, no matter how much effort or investment or money we put into making a bullet as, as great as it can be, take the A-tip. We, we, that thing has so much invested in it. No matter how good that bullet is, if you miss your target, it doesn't matter. So even though we did all that work and all that stuff, if your trajectory prediction is wrong and that's what makes you miss the target, it doesn't matter if that bullet's a rocket or not. You still missed. A miss is a miss. So that was kind of the justification was, hey, all these people are using our products with a faulty prediction method that doesn't allow them to use them as successfully as they could. Let's give them some a, a tool that will allow them to use our products more successfully. And that's what the the, the process of Ford Off was in the beginning. So um, we understood the limitations of BC. We had suffered from it for years, just like everybody had and, and still does in some cases. And so we set out to fix that. So what we did with Ford Off was we're getting the the video recording of the the drag or the gas mileage from the radar right but that's not everything 
that's that's a big part of why a bullet goes where it goes at long distances, but it's not the whole story because bullets are dynamic things. They move around, they pitch, they yaw, they roll, they do all these, you know, dynamic behaviors. Um, and that also plays into why they go where they go. So what we did was um, in a in a three degrees of freedom program, three DOF, that would be your BC program. So your three degrees of freedom are range. That's one of them, right? up and down elevation, left and right windage. So that would be a three degree of freedom program. Well, you can't account for projectile dynamics, all that pitching and yawing and rolling and all those motions that are occurring to the bullet in flight. You can't predict all that without the bullet, right? Because that's what's doing it. And so the important aspect of all those dynamic behaviors is the angle that the bullet is at in relation to the direction it's, it's traveling to. So how much is it skidding sideways or, or nosing up? You know, it's not flying straight. So the, the degree to that uh, is referred to as angle of attack. If, if that image is uh, uh, available to your listeners, <clears throat> that fourth degree of freedom is angle of attack. So it has the first three, elevation, uh, range, and windage, your primary three. But the fourth one is the angle that the bullet is at in, in relation to the direction it's traveling on. And that angle really dictates all of the bullet's dynamic responses. So if a bullet has... Uh, uh, three degrees angle of attack, it's flying sideways by three degrees, that amount is going to cause a certain response by the bullet versus if it's flying at one degree or five degrees. Those are all different. And all of those responses by the bullet are going to affect where it goes. And so what the Ford off does is takes into account the, the radar recording of the fuel mileage of the bullet and also all of its dynamic responses, which are based on the bullet's shape and based on the mass characteristics within it. So when you use the Fordoff program, you pick a bullet from a library. When you use a BC program, you, you could still pick a bullet from a library. Some of them are out there, but you can just put in a BC number, right? So the only thing that BC program knows about your bullet is that number you tell it. And you might tell it a weight and a diameter and a bullet length, maybe. That's about as advanced as a BC program goes, those four inputs. When you pick a bullet out of the Fordoff library, it loads a table of over 400 values that are unique to that specific bullet. And those values are the radar, the radar drag, the fuel mileage rating of the bullet across every condition it could possibly fly in, every speed. And then also all of those dynamic behaviors that it has. It's called moments and coefficients in aerodynamics. And all of those, um, all of those are based on a, a physical model of the bullet. So we, we lay out where's the lead, where is the copper, where's the air, where's the tip, what are they made out of? You get exact locations of center of gravity and the inertias that that bullet's going to have. So all of that is what is fed into the Fordoff engine to run a trajectory calculation. So I mentioned earlier, it's not just the radar drag that is Fordoff. It's that and a whole bunch more. So to give you an idea of the complexity difference, BC is going to take one to four numbers that it knows about your bullet that you told it versus Fordoff. When you pick a bullet, you're actually picking a physical model of a projectile that has 400 values that define why that thing's why that thing does what it does in flight. That's impressive. I'm telling you, I'm looking at the calculator right now as we're talking and playing with it and I'm telling you that's it's so awesome. It's it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's really one of the first calculators out there that's easy to use that has actual yeah. aerodynamic jump values. That's one thing that that there's a, there's several things that separate the Ford off calculator from from the rest of them. 
obviously the use of drag coefficient and all those moment and coefficient tables and inertias. Uh, but the fact that your elevation changes based on wind direction and speed, and this is not a uh, uh, not a value that you know we went out and kind of tested in some environments and got a generalized answer and put it in there this is actual real values that that tell you what aerodynamic jump is doing and and that's to my knowledge one of maybe only a couple calculators out there i think lapua had one that mm -hmm. failed miserably only in that i think it was really difficult to use i'm not yeah, sure and there was only lapua bullets supported okay. in it. um but uh, yeah, that aerodynamic jump is calculated in there too. So if you're if you're playing with it now, Chris, and you get a solution, and you spin that wind wheel around, and you tell you that, you know you're changing, don't change the speed, just change the direction. Your elevation will change as well. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's there's there's maybe a little bit more detail we can go in there. Uh, some of your users, your your listeners that are a little more advanced, they know about aerodynamic jump. You know that wind will cause me to hit high or low on target, not only left or right. Also things like spin drift, right? The further I shoot downrange, the more my bullet's going to drift to the right if I'm using a right twist barrel. Those phenomena, you can't calculate those things without the bullet. So if you're using a program, uh, a BC program that's giving you an aerodynamic jump or a spin drift output, that's because they're doing something behind the scenes to just generate some output. You can't calculate how much a bullet's going to drift due to spin drift with the equations of motion that define physics without having the actual bullet in there to calculate it. So what happens is a lot of the a lot of the calculators available out there that give you an output for spin drift or give you an output for aerodynamic jump, it's just based on empirical testing data where they've gone out in different conditions and shot and said, okay, well, aerodynamic jump is worth a 10th of a mil for 10 mile an hour crosswind. And so they put that in the calculator. The problem is, mm. is that's not the case. Aerodynamic jump and spin drift are unique to each bullet, although they don't change wildly as much as like say drag does they do change based on the bullet they change based on the environment all of those things those little details we're at the point now in the performance of long-range shooting our equipment our barrels our bullets our scopes all that stuff is so good now that we can start to expose those little problems in the fake calculations that have occurred historically and so that's another reason why why Fordoff is is setting itself apart is that it's doing things correctly. All of those all of those numbers you see for your elevation and windage on your on your app right now are mm -hmm. based on the equations of motion being calculated. How physics works, right? These are the the defining formulas of physics for quite some time now. That's what it's using. It's not using some empirical formula that was generated to figure out how much spin drift is or aerodynamic jump is because you can't do it the right way because you don't have a bullet in it. It's like actual science, not cloth mask science. I get yeah. it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not anecdotal. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. that's the big one. It's not anecdotal <laughs> it's testing. Theoretical. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's it's actual calculations. Yeah. I, 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 this thing is amazing. I mean, I'm just sitting here even now. I'm just like, you know, clicking on the earth based effects and, you know, using your phone to. Yeah. Do the know, angle. That's yeah. probably the angle another one we could talk about. I don't know how if you even want to touch on it, but the oversimplification, I think of, and probably the overuse of what most people define as Coriolis and then how, how our Fordoff uses the earth-based effects. And, uh, that's, that's been pretty neat to, uh, to learn. And I know very, very limited amounts of that. Jane's obviously the, the holder of that information, but just learning about how that eight Vos effect was discovered kind of goes against my original 
thoughts of Coriolis. Um, and th- yeah, that that's been mind blowing to say the least. Yeah. Yes. Because I think it's, I do think for most people it's overused, um, you know, over overly talked about, cause I don't think it has a whole lot of effect unless you're talking much, much further distances, but let's get into that. Like what distances are we talking about where it actually starts to have an effect and how did you guys discover its effect yeah. on the Doppler radar? Before Jaden goes off on this, I just want to hit with <laughs> well before before he 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 preaches truth, I just want to to get out what my twenty you know two thousand twelve understanding of what Coriolis was okay and because it it was that's what I had read about and so I just assumed that's the way it was and in two thousand twelve two thousand thirteen my understanding of Coriolis was the bullet is detached from the Earth's surface and the Earth is spinning underneath it. And so the, the target's moving because your bullet's removed from Earth's surface. That's the way I understood it. And, uh, yeah, Jaden can go on from there. Because I think I'm probably not alone in that 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 belief because that's been right. kind of how it was laid out. Well, you're absolutely correct. So we're, we're done here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so in, in the app, you'll see it's called Earth-based effects. It's not mm-hmm. called Coriolis because there's actually a, a separation there that's important to note. So Coriolis is the effect that occurs when when shooting any northerly or southerly direction, right? So you're if if you're not shooting exactly east or west at 270 degrees or 90 degrees, there is a Coriolis component, and that's because of the northerly or or southerly direction of fire. And what that's right. caused by is kind of related to what you were saying. You know that that level of understanding isn't completely wrong, but what's occurring is you're launching the bullet from a position on Earth, a latitude. And that latitude has a circumference associated with it of the Earth, right? The Earth's an ellipsoid, so the circumference changes as you go up or down in latitude uh, from the equator or the poles. So you're launching the bullet from a certain circumference of the Earth. Earth, That's your latitude. Well, if you're shooting north or south, that means that your target is either further north of you or further south of you at a different circumference of the Earth. Well, the Earth rotates at a constant velocity, a constant speed. So if you change the circumference of where you are and where your target is, then you're going to have a change in the essentially the rotational speed of those two things at that point. So what happens when you're shooting uh, north is you're shooting from a a rotational velocity A, but your target is at rotational velocity B. It's at a different point. So as the bullet's on its way to the target, that time of flight, the time it takes the bullet from leaving your muzzle until it hits the target, that time association means that one of them is spinning faster than the other one. And so it's going to move left to right on you. And in simple terms, that's what's going on. That's Coriolis. Uh, The other half of that is the the Yotvos effect. The Yotvos effect is when firing in an east or westward direction. And that can be anything from, you know, not directly north or south. It's not only when just east-west, it's any easterly or westerly component of your azimuth. Uh, and what that is, is Iotvos, like you're saying, the history on that's pretty cool. And and go Google it and read up on it. It's really interesting. Um, essentially, I don't remember the time frame. I want to say 1800s. They were they would sail ships between um, wherever. I don't even remember where it was. But uh, they would sail ships on the open sea, um, some of them traveling westward, some of them traveling eastward, and they would weigh the cargo. And they would get different weights of the cargo depending on the direction of travel. And essentially what's happening is you're either you're either, you know, if you're moving in alignment with the direction of rotation of the earth, the effect of gravity there is lightened slightly. 
because you're you have a an alignment with the it's the same thing when a spaceship launches the reason they launch in the and the and the angle that they launch it at is specific to use earth's rotational, uh, rotational velocity to, to help it get out into orbit most efficiently. And, and in, in super basic terms, that's kind of what's happening when firing east or west is, is that EOTVOS effects. It's E-O-T-V-O-S with some asterisks or something. I don't remember. Like Motley Crue, I think. Yeah, Motley Crue, yeah. 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 So um, that's what, when you when you select Earth-based in Fordoff, it's taking into account those two things. I think in the, the long-range shooting community, everybody's historically been wrapped up over the Coriolis effect and they 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 lump that everything under that title and that's not technically accurate and just like Jaden was mentioning when they discovered that eo vos or eight vos or whatever uh, however you pronounce it the the ships are in the ocean and so the fact that like the bullets detached from earth or whatever like in the you know if you zoom out the bullets still very much on earth yeah but uh, so dave you're saying you know the you believe the effects of it to be really small unless you're really shooting a long distance and you're absolutely correct i mean if you think about how big earth is you know although from our perspective a 1500 yard or 2000 yard shot is a really long ways from the perspective of small arms ballistics it's not in regard to this the the surface of the earth right you're not really changing right the circumference the, the difference in circumference between you and 1500 yards north of you really isn't very much and so what you end up seeing is for small arms applicable ballistics uh the the change is so small that it's eclipsed by way more things of higher magnitude like probably a tenth of a mile an hour of wind speed error is going to eclipse coriolis uh, all, all those things are just going to make it not even worth concentrating on now there's a romanticism around it right there uh, oh, I'm accounting for the rotation of the earth because I'm shooting so far. That's how good I am. You know, that that exists for certain. Um, where, it, where it does play in and has a measurable effect is in artillery. But if you think about it, artillery is the same thing we're doing with small arm stuff. It's just over a longer distance and they're not using a line of sight optic, a scope to, to aim it, right? They're using an angle to launch that artillery piece right. at to get it to hit, you know, 10, 20 clicks away. Um, where those effects are actually having um, some impact on where the bullet's going to hit because the time of flight is so long, right, on on those sorts of uh, firings. That, that's where you see it. But we still account for it because it is present, and you should account for everything that you can because those things can lump together and cause you to miss even further out if you don't account for it. Right. Cool. That was good because I actually did have the question, so I'm glad uh, Huggy brought it up. It was perfect timing you're welcome <laughs> there's a there's another maybe quick offshoot that we could touch on there um talking about the artillery stuff so another sure. thing that another thing that fordoff does uh, that's different than any other program i'm aware of is how it handles the atmospheric conditions mm -hmm. so most on most other ballistics calculators will take the temperature you tell it and the pressure and the humidity humidity you tell it It'll take all those three, three things together and calculate an air density, density of the air, right? Which is affected by temperature, pressure, and humidity. And it assumes that the air density is static. It's fixed between you and your target because small arms fire or is small, small arms trajectory predictions are considered to be less than 15 degrees. Once you go over that, you're talking artillery stuff, right? Where you're going really long. Well, under 15 degree angle of fire, um, your your air density is pretty static 
But the problem is, is that we shoot in mountains sometimes and we shoot mm -hmm. uphill and downhill in those mountains and sometimes at a thousand or two yards. <clears throat> and so what happens is the temperature and the pressure uh, within the atmosphere changes based on where you are from an altitude standpoint, right? The higher up you go in altitude, the less atmosphere there is sitting on top of you, it lowers the pressure. The lower you go down at sea level, you have way more pressure in the air because you have the entire atmosphere of air sitting on top of you. That's where air pressure comes from. <clears throat> so if we're, if we're changing, the altitude of our bullet is changing a lot. We're shooting, you know, two or say a thousand or 2000 yards uphill at a steep angle. That bullet is climbing in altitude on its way to the target. Well, it's if, if altitude or if pressure changes with altitude and temperature does as well, uh, that's why when you go to a mountaintop, it's so cold up there. Uh, the temperature and pressure change at a pretty constant rate with altitude. So if our bullet is climbing substantial amounts of altitude as it's on its way to its target, but we assume that there's no changes in temperature or pressure, we're going to have errors in where it's going to predict that bullet to go, right? Because both of those, those things influence the, the trajectory. So what Fordoff does is when you tell it, a, a, it makes you tell it an altitude, a temperature, a pressure, and a humidity. And what it does is it says, okay, you told me this is the the temperature, pressure, and humidity at this altitude, well, those change at a pretty constant rate in the atmosphere. So it then builds, extrapolates out an atmospheric table up to, I think we go up to 15,000 feet and down to negative 600 feet. So it builds an atmosphere based on what you told it from this one point where you gathered data. And then when it does a trajectory prediction, it pays attention to the altitude of the bullet as it's traveling to the target and accounts for any changes in temperature, pressure, and humidity that exist because of that change in altitude. And you won't get that with a BC-based program because, again, what it does is takes those three, right. calculates them all together as an air density, and says that's the same no matter where the bullet is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So somebody hacked into my computer and gave you all my questions because you guys are walking me right through my questions. Oh, good deal. This good is deal. perfect. <laughs> well, I, I just, go ahead, Huggy. Oh, um, while we were there, I was just while we're talking about the whole altitude, temperature, humidity, pressure. Oh yeah, uh, we're not off it, that yet. Don't worry. Yeah, I go just, ahead. I see right above it. Uh, you have a parameter, so yep. that it looks like there you can actually uh, Bluetooth this with the. Uh, device so that it will actually incorporate that information in here for you. That's correct. Yeah, it'll work with the weather flow meter, which is more of a maybe lower cost option uh, for people. And then also the Kestrel, which is kind of world renowned for ruggedness and, and dependability and stuff like that, but is at a higher price point. So it will work with both of those. Nice. Okay. Awesome. So we're going to go back to angle shooting because Seth and I touched on this a little bit before. Um, back when, when I was teaching shooting, we used cosine mm -hmm. for angle shooting. You know, we had our normal ballistic stuff. This is what you're, and then we used a cosine and basically what it ended up being is we were just determining the, the ground distance from directly below where we were mm -hmm. to straight line sight to the target. And that's what we were setting our dope at. Mm -hmm. How far off were we doing that? Depends on the round you're shooting, the environment, and how far the target is. All right, let's just 600 yards, 175 grain boat tail hollow point out of a 308. Rough average, how far would we? How far would we have been off? Say Not a lot of those uh, 
thousand feet. What's <laughs> the angle of the shot? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, we'll say 60 degree angle and it's a thousand feet difference, 600 yard flat distance. So I'm not doing that quick triangular math though. I'm going to throw a range out cause I don't have the exact number, you know, uh, okay. you're probably going to be off between a mil or two. Uh, maybe, uh, okay. maybe as little as a half a mil, but I kind of doubt it. Cause that 308 is a pumpkin chunker compared to the modern day stuff. And a mill is 3.6 minutes, so that's, that's significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be, so at 600 yards, that would be 21 inches, about. 21.6, but we're not counting. Yep. Yeah. Rounding error. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but go, go uh, dive in a little deeper into why they, that Coriolis is, or the rifleman's rule for angle shooting is good, but not. It's like using BC versus yeah. Drag it's it's definitely better than nothing. So you asked, you know, were you guys wrong? Well, yes and no, right? You were, you would have been completely wrong to not account for it at all because you knew it was there and you knew it would cause you to miss. So you were at least doing something positive to try to compensate for it. Now the tool you were using to do it wasn't right. That's not how it works. So you were correct in in your description of how cosine works. It essentially finds the flat fire distance to use for either your dope or your, or you apply it to your come up. Um, the problem with that is anytime you shoot at an angle, you're changing the, the relationship of the flight path of the bullet to gravity. So most of the time when we shoot with, with no angle fire at all, we're just shooting on a flat range. Gravity is, is working perpendicular to the bullet's flight path. But when we start shooting at an uphill angle, now gravity is working more in alignment with the flight path and same thing with the downhill angle. And so the more the angle is, the less bullet drop there's going to be because there's a change of shape of the parabola. So a trajectory is typically described as a parabola, right? It's kind of straight in the beginning with an ever-increasing arc as you go right. on in time. What happens is the shape of that parabola changes based on the alignment with gravity. So what you're doing with the cosine calculation is taking that flat fire parabola and trying to use that as the baseline. The problem is the change of shape of that parabola will change on you. So you're using the wrong shaped parabola to make your corrections for that angled shot. So the way it actually works is when you shoot at an up or down hill angle, that alignment with gravity changes the shape of the trajectory curve. So there's no basic mathematic way to account for it. Now, does the cosine method get you part the way there? Yes, absolutely. So using cosine, let's say you didn't account for it at all and you were off by the mill that I talked about at, at 600, the 21.6 inches. Well, you use your cosine method and now you end up by missing by six inches. Well, that's not optimum, but it's better than 21.6 inches. So that, yeah. that old rifleman's rule method works in a pinch, but we now have the technology to calculate it the correct way. And now we don't have to miss by six inches anymore in that example. It's kind of like using BC versus drag coefficient in a forward off calculator. Right. Okay. So basically you guys have made all other calculators obsolete. Thanks. <laughs> no charge. It's, it's free. Yeah. Well, that's another, now, point. that's another maybe tangent to hit on before going back to that, the point that it's free. So when we, when we, uh, you know, I said that we originally designed it to give our, users of our products a tool that allows them to use our products better make them perform better right um we also thought a lot about do we include competitor bullets in there or not 
And we said, yes, absolutely, we should, because people shoot other bullets, too. And that's that's OK. Other people make good bullets, too. Um, but maybe that guy that's diehard Sierra or diehard burger or whatever he is, maybe he'll use our app because that bullet's in there. And then maybe one day he'll say, hey, how's this compare to that ELD match or that A tip or that ELDX? And he'll say, oh, wow, maybe I'll go try some of those. So that was the point of a making it free the ability to have accurate trajectory predictions shouldn't be limited by a price barrier of entry. This technology has been around and is available in so many places. You shouldn't have to pay for that. And it allows people to use our products better. You know, we, we're, a, we're a bullet and ammunition company primarily. So that's the purpose of it being free. But there's probably some people out there that have said, oh, well, if it isn't cost something, it isn't worth anything. Well, that's certainly not the case with this program. Well, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and yeah, just let me finish this real quick, Chris. And that was the other thing I was going to was uh, the the other part of that question was, um, do you guys have other bullet manufacturers bullets in there other than Hornady? Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. and you do because uh, yep. I haven't gotten that far. I've only looked at you know what I have, which is Hornady. Because yeah, I, when you I've got this when you open five. up that bullet library and you start scrolling through Hornady's on top, right? right. We're going to put our stuff up top, but you keep scrolling and you're going to hit Sierra. Burger, Lapua, yeah. Warner Tool, Warner Tool, Vapor Trail, Nosler, Vapor Trail. Yeah, there's a bunch, and that library is continually growing. Yeah, the only bullets you so, won't find in there uh, are not necessarily brand specific, but just like we were talking about the Amax and and the deforming tips and the SSTs and the, that stuff. If a projectile from any manufacturer has a polymer tip that does deform in flight because they're not using, you know, something like we do in our, our heat shield tip. We can't include those because it doesn't deform the same way every time. So your solutions are, are not going to be as accurate. So uh, you won't find anything like that in there. So the other part of that is, are you guys then testing all these bullets too with your Doppler radar before right. you put them in? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Buy them off Midway okay. USA and shoot them. Wow. That's, that's, that is so awesome. I, I want that job. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of fun with a equal amount of responsibility oh i i, yeah. I agree yeah. but i if you want somebody to shoot every day and make sure the calculations <laughs> are put in correctly, we're always looking for good people huggy all right i'll come up there <laughs> and i just want to say well let's so get him out and see how well he shoots first yeah. <laughs> hey i just gotta shoot just remember time. you gotta feed him too <laughs> oh, you didn't say that in the beginning. <laughs> but I just want to say that's a constraint right there. Hey, hey, I, I look. I'll, 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 we'll negotiate that aspect. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say that is so smart of Hornaday uh, to uh, that to allow this to be a free program app program. I mean, that is just absolutely genius because, like you said, you're allowing other people to say, "Hey." you've got all the you know some, most of the bullets in there that this person might be shooting this other person might be shooting something different and they can go in there and be like hey we can go in here and use this and that just shows how smart hornady is because they are they're gathering other people to come in and they might say hey they're doing it right they're doing it smart why not go that route why not go with Hornady? so kudos to you guys and hornady for that thank you yeah thanks and when, well, when those do I are, need to sign that application? Uh, we'll talk about it offline. You know. 
Well, those were the uh, those were the questions that I had for you guys. Leo, Chris, you guys have anything further? Uh, I do, but I feel like Huggy's really enthusiastic. So, and I, I know he sent a message about some something very specific that I, we were both. So I'll let him go first. Okay. Uh, well, Seth, you had it. mentioned earlier about the mammoth competition. Yeah. And I wanted you to kind of expand about what that is. Oh, sure. So Mammoth uh, Sniper Challenge or Sniper, whatever it is, uh, it's a match right now. It's held in Fort Gordon, Georgia. It's been in other places uh, up in Kentucky. Um, but basically, there's uh, three days worth of competition. It starts Friday morning at 6 a.m. and it goes till Sunday at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And there's varying. Uh, uh, there's three different levels. So uh, top level would be mechanized. You show up you drive from stage to stage to stage and you shoot, you know, you shoot a match basically. And then the next stage, I forget what they call that, but it's kind of the middle ground where you show up, you hike between stages uh, with all the gear that you need for the day and you shoot the stages. And then at the end of the day, you go to a hotel and take a shower and uh, probably have a beer and a nap and, and, and go back out there the next day. And then the, the third one and the kind of the premier one, which is this year, I didn't run it this year for 2021, but, uh, or 2022 rather is the first year they only had this, uh, category. And that is you show up, uh, Friday morning at 6 AM with every single thing, excluding water that you will need for three days, ammunition, firearms, uh, uh, food, uh, shelter, sleeping bag, clothing, any 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 of the Gucci gear you want to take for for comfortability or morale, and you show up six a.m. on a Friday, and you shoot your day of stages, and you hike between stages, and then you set up a camp and you sleep that night, and you do the same thing the next day and the third day, and kind of the catch twenty two from a shooting competition standpoint. Um, there's some gaminess to it, you know, where they make you think, and mm -hmm. uh, there's a certain strategy to gain more points if you do it this way or the other, and you kind of read between the rules. Uh, and you, everyone has to have a sidearm. It's a two-man team. You have a sidearm, uh, usually a nine millimeter minimum, and then one person can run any cartridge they want in their precision rifle, and the other cartridge, the secondary shooter, has to shoot a two-two-three or three-zero-eight. And uh, the kind of the limiting factor is the shooting competition is not particularly that challenging, but they time you between stages and that that is an equalizer because you you know day one stages one through let's say you shoot five stages a day you know and each stage is between half and three or four miles apart and they give you about 15 minutes and 30 seconds per mile uh, to get from one stage to the other so on day one it's not that bad you know you have to hustle generally if you jog downhill and then walk uphill you'll be fine. Um, using a smartwatch, you know, something that keeps your pace is really handy. Well, if you don't take enough calories or if you get behind on your water consumption, day two and day three, that challenge becomes increasingly more challenging because you get uh, sore, you get tired, you know. And when I started the one year I ran it in 2021, my pack, I think, weighed 54 pounds when I started. So it's not like you're, you don't have weight on your back and it's not a ton, but by day two, you're eating food just so you don't have to carry it. You know, you're shooting <laughs> ammo just so you don't have to carry it. And, uh, it really is a mind body type competition and you have to be in relative good shape to play. 
uh, the year that I ran it, it was getting into the low twenties at night. Um, I just talked to some guys that ran it in 2022 and it was like 40 or 50 degrees at night. So it was a way more manageable just from a morale standpoint, you know, but, uh, it really was a awesome match. It, it was an equalizer because you, you had to be in shape to play. You had to be a good shooter. You had to have good teamwork. Uh, you had to take care of your body, you know, because three days of moving, you know, 15, 10 miles a day or whatever with weight on your back uh, can take a toll on ankles and knees and hips and, and stuff like that. So that was the Mammoth Sniper Challenge, an awesome match. If anybody's thinking about doing it, go ahead. It's awesome. And then Vortex Optics now is doing a series of matches, the Vortex Sniper Challenge, uh, where instead of just one per year like Mammoth, there's going to be four matches plus a finale. So those are going on right now and mm. very similar, if not the same outline. Huh. Wow. Huggy, don't act like we're going to go do that. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> Mom, you and I try it. Well, the, the, oh, yeah. the Vortex Optics I one, can't even uh, jog a 15-minute mile. The, the Vortex Optics <laughs> one, they have that same class where if you want to drive to every single stage, you can. There's that class. If you want to sleep in a hotel and eat, breakfast and and hike between stages but get to go you know to a nice warm hotel every night they got that and then they have the tough man where it's everything's on your back oh leo and i do the tough man get it yeah i'm it's okay awesome. I, listen i'm okay being a diva in a situation like that that's fine <laughs> sounds like he's ready huggy <laughs> yeah <laughs> sign him up yeah <laughs> yeah, oh, you, yeah you bring the golf cart and i'm in <laughs> It'd be worse right. than an old married couple. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, and look, I would like to point out round is a shape. Yep. <laughs> Respect. Right. Yeah. Uh, my other question is, uh, I know I, I like this competition. I watched it numerous times. I haven't competed in it myself, but I just enjoy watching it. It is called the king of the two mile. Oh, yeah. So, do you see now with using this new Doppler radar system and uh, uh, improving the ballistics, do you do you see this actually helping uh, improving long distance shots of like that caliber? Yeah, I think Jaden could expand on this quite a bit. Obviously, it's going to help. I think at ranges, I think the king of two, two mile is generally one inside of 2,000 yards. Mm-hmm. You win inside of 2,000 yards, you win the competition because it distances right. past that. There's too much luck involved. A tenth of a mile an hour wind, uh, a, a, an extreme spread of your muzzle velocity becomes way more important. Uh, and so will it help? Absolutely. But at those long, long distances, when you get to two miles, there, there, there's impossible uh, to to get a whole lot better than the extreme spread of your ammunition. You're you're mm-hmm. kind of a victim to whatever that extreme spread of your muzzle velocity is. But mm-hmm. Jaden could expand on that a lot further. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Fort Off will definitely give you an advantage there, um, where every single thing matters. You know, that's the summary of what Seth was just saying. Every little detail matters. The, the problem becomes that at those distances, it, you know, when you go past 2000 and definitely beyond 2,500, I mean, stuff out to 2,500 is pretty manageable. Uh, but once you go beyond that, the sensitivity to every little variable gets massive. So take mm-hmm. any ballistics calculator you want, run the range out to 2,500 yards, set your muzzle velocity to whatever it is, and then go change it by one foot per second. 
and watch how much that changes your your impact on target. It's mm-hmm. a lot. And so when you go behind, when you go beyond those twenty five hundred yard distances, especially in these these competition style deals, you're you're playing a bit of the lottery mm-hmm. because generally you're shooting a three or maybe five shots, maybe even ten at some of the you know uh, regional competitions at those distances. Well, those sample sizes are so small that if you hit all three times, let's say you're shooting three rounds, you hit all three times, you could repeat that same process 10 times. You come back up to the line and shoot three rounds. Come back up to the line, shoot ten, shoot your three rounds. You do that 10 times, you're not going to hit the same amount of targets every single time you do it. So the point is that you're playing a bit of the lottery. Yeah. And so it becomes difficult to, to make claims of my skill set is better or my performance is better or whatever it may be because the sample size of those competitions isn't large enough to to gather all of the variables that exist there mm-hmm. so is it fun yeah absolutely it's you know those type of thing pushing those boundaries are, are great um, we mm-hmm. should do that you know to advance uh, the industry but it is important to to understand what's really going on there, um, and and like Seth, like Seth said, that match is one you know inside of two thousand, right. and so four off is a huge advantage there because you have all those things working in your favor. Yeah, thank you, Leo. Floor good, Huggy. No, good. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> two two questions total for for both of you. Um, so, so there's a lot of physics involved. There's a lot of trig and there's a lot of fluid dynamics, pressures. So basically you have to be uh, a physicist, a meteorologist, a uh, math nerd, and also a, a man with a really strong beard. Like how do you get into this industry and, and get to the point where you guys are at where you're uh, – at the leading edge of the industry passion. and also your beard game. Passion and passion. Yep. <laughs> Passionately growing a beard. <laughs> no, that it, it's all passion. Um, you know, I, the, one of those original questions at the start of this thing, uh, you know, I've had a passion for ballistics since I was a kid growing up on the farm, trying to outshoot my cousins and that, passion that started way back then is the passion that I come to work with every day now. Even though <clears throat> even though I have answers to a thousand of the questions that I had all those years ago, I have a thousand more questions that I'm working on right now. And so I think you can have the most robust, you know, educational background to support it. You could have, you know, double doctorates in physics and aerodynamics and thermodynamics and all those things that you just listed off, Leo. But if you don't have the passion, none of that means anything. And I think at the root, we're shooters. We compete together. We hunt together. When we go out to dinner with our families together, we're generally talking about this stuff. Like, it doesn't stop. So uh, to boil it all down, I think it comes to the passion that you have. And I can expand on that uh, on the other side because, like Jade mentioned, it, it, it is 100% comes down to passion. And when you when you match that up with an employer – that is willing to let you chase that passion and give you the resources to, to do it at a, an extremely high level, you know, a six figure Doppler radar, like buy it and then to turn you loose on it and just, you know, basically say good luck. Uh, when you have someone who's passionate and driven 
and then has the resources and the support of an employer to, to go as deep and as far into the weeds as you feel is necessary, then, then there's no limit to what you can discover. There's no limit to, to the, the products that you can develop, uh, because it, it matched so perfectly. If you took Jaden's incredible ability to learn compounded by his passion for what he's doing, but stonewalled it against an employer that wasn't willing to expend, to expend money on R and D and wasn't willing to let him not have a thumb in his back as he's exploring the world of ballistics. Uh, you wouldn't have the innovation from Hornady that you, that you do. So it, it's everything he said, but then it, it's matched with the employer that, that lets us do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really good point. And, and anybody can say at any point, like pretty much exactly what you said, that you have these people that have this amazing capability, but if they don't have that support system, then like you said, you spend six figures on a Doppler and they're just going to sit there and look. So that's awesome. Like that's, that's very cool to, to get that perspective. Um, and a, a little bit more into to that side of it uh, is my second question. Uh, talking about the polymers and all this stuff, and some of it might be proprietary. So if it is, just stare at me and be like, okay, we're good. Um, but I know that a lot of this has some carryover into like the aerospace industry. Did you guys do any talking with those guys that are at that high end of those supersonic airplanes and talk? Is there any crossover with the materials science uh, for those ballistic tips and those high heat? um tips that you guys are using no because i think that's a although it seems related it's totally different you know like in, okay. in aircraft you're maintaining speed so you know the 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 rate of velocity decay that is 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 small arms ballistics is kind of unique to that it exists in the artillery world and some other projectile formats but but they're also not looking for the same things in artillery that we're looking for in small arms right I might want to have have the bullet, you know, not have the tip deform while making sure that I can make it expand with an ELDX, right? That tip serves multiple roles, where maybe in artillery it serves different multiple roles or maybe one role or something. So although they're related, I don't think they're aligned in their end goals enough for there to be that universal crossover. Right. So it's not the apples to apples. Correct. Okay. Um, and my final question is somewhat related to this. So I can't use the Ford off to fire off artillery. You could, if you could supply us with the artillery piece and the munitions to build a bullet file. Yeah, you could. We'll talk offline. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, don't, don't worry about it. It's, it's later conversation. Uh, I'm moving to Nebraska. That's all I know. <laughs> Not many people are. <laughs> I'm, I'm going first. You got three people that are like, yeah, we're on the way. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's a great company to work for, though. I mean, they're, yeah. they're awesome. I, I will have to also say that, you know, I um, I reload with a Hornaday press. Uh, actually, I have the... Uh, lock and load ammo plant system um great system um so i've you know in the past i've had some issues and i'm gonna tell you right now i've called customer service it's been awesome 
they were willing to just, you know, walk me through any issues or just say, hey, we're sending you the part out, you know, and it was like, that's awesome. And, you know, I'm thinking it's going to be a couple of days. Nope. Next day it was here, you know, and that's one thing I will have to say about the customer service for Hornady is amazing. Even during the pandemic, I will have to say that I called and I know a lot of the employees were working from home, but they were able to get what I needed and shipped it out to me, even while they were at, at home. So again, my hat's off to Hornady for, you know, the customer service and everything. Yeah, appreciate it. I take that one really personally. I work, that's where I started in the company was in the technical services area. And that's something that we pride ourselves on is having a team that knows all of our reloading tools, knows all of our bullets, knows all of our ammo, knows every different shooting discipline you can imagine. So yeah, if you've got a problem with the press, if you've got a question about a loading technique, you want some specifics on a bullet, you want to talk about a reloading procedure as it relates to F class or bench rest or whatever, like there are a dozen dudes upstairs on the phone and all of them hunt, all of them shoot, all of them reload. Most of them shoot competitively in some fashion and we're available eight to five Monday through Friday. Awesome. That's all I have. Okay. Well guys, that's all we have. Um, is there anything left you guys want to mention or anything you feel we need to clarify? I kind of have a universal, you know, thank you to all those people that buy and use our products, you know, that puts food on our family's table and that's not something to be overlooked. So we sure appreciate it. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, to kind of tie into that one thing that on the marketing side, I've gotten a lot here. I've only been doing marketing now for a year is there seems to be a, a misconception that Hornady is this huge company and we we're all marketing hype and we've got this huge, huge expansive amount of employees. And the reality is, we're a small company. We're family owned. We're in the middle of nowhere. It is very tight. All departments here run very lean from an employee standpoint. Uh, and we're just a small family owned company that is passionate about what we do. And we're obviously family owned. Every single person in that family is a hunter and shooter. And that obviously spills over to the employee side. So like he mentioned, yeah, thank you for all the Hornady customers because it it does put food on our table and it continues to let us do what we enjoy doing most. And uh, I wanted to maybe end with that or clear that up that we're a small family owned company trying to do big things and we appreciate everybody's uh, uh, support. All right. Well, thank you for coming on and keep up the good work. That's the plan. Thanks. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm.